Good morning, Coastal Church. Pastor Sean here, and really excited about our New Year series. How many times have you uh, had somebody at the store say, have a blessed day? Uh, we probably all had that. You know, Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount, what's often called the Beatitudes, just the first nine verses. He says, blessed are those, and then fill in the blank. You know, the, blessed, the word blessed has a lot of meanings. It can mean kind of the idea of fortunate or happy. And so imagine if you could have more than a blessed day. What if you could have a blessed year, right? Or even a blessed life. And so we're really excited about this new New Year series where we're going to unpack the, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes that we hope will encourage you to walk in the blessings of the Lord. Blessed. That's a really interesting word, right? We use it commonly. And uh, as Pastor Sean said, a lot of people will say, man, I'm blessed. And what is usually attached to that? I decided to do a quick search. If you look at uh, Twitter or Instagram and look up hashtag blessed, here are some of the first things I came across. I reached 100,000 followers, hashtag blessed. Our fifth grandchild was born, hashtag blessed. A high school football player received an offer at a university, he said, hashtag blessed. Great game and memorable win, hashtag blessed. Got engaged to the love of my life, hashtag blessed. Smiling because it's my daughter's birthday, she doesn't live at home and doesn't ask me for money. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> Those things all have something in common, don't they? They're all good. They're all positive things. They're all things that we're really happy to receive. It's interesting to me as we look at the Christian life because if that's the definition of blessing then we all have days that are not blessed of God, right? We all have days when the, the, the bad news comes or somebody gets sick or the kids aren't well or something happens at school that is just a horrendous tragedy that's happened in this just past uh, week or so up in Newport News or, or uh, car accidents or things. These are things that I know about that have affected our church family. And, and uh, if... Hashtag blessed applies to only when I get a certain number of followers or a certain positive thing comes through that I've been waiting on, then what about the rest of those days? So as we go through this series uh, on the Beatitudes, we're going to take a month to discuss what that means. And we're going to find, uh, as I have titled this message, that at some point in time, somebody has switched the price tags. Somebody has said, if you're blessed, it means good things are happening to you. Now, don't get me wrong. I consider it a great blessing. Actually, every time I get my paycheck, I'm thankful. I feel blessed that I have a job and I'm able to earn an income and support my family and, and all of those things. And all those positive things are part of the blessing of God. But we have to be careful that we don't let the blessing of God be all about the material stuff that we have gotten from God, right? As one writer said, biblical blessing shakes itself loose from all thoughts of outward good 
and becomes the symbol of a happiness identified with pure character. Interesting thought. Where the world speaks of self-sufficiency, the Bible speaks of poverty of spirit and meekness. Instead of toughing it out and holding our head high, we're told to embrace mourning as part of the human experience and to weep with others when they weep. People don't want to have patience and courage in the bitterness and struggle of life. Those are the kind of things we try to avoid. The world wins by being the strongest. Jesus teaches us to embrace a view of blessing that thrives on trial and persecution, glories in tribulation. It not only endures but conquers the world and expects its crown in heaven. That's a very different perspective, right? We're not trying to paint the picture that I'm only blessed when bad things happen, but we are trying to include the reality that the blessing of God is true on my life, whether my circumstances are positive or not. Something really powerful to be learned. I want to give you one last note about this Sermon on the Mount, and that is this. The Sermon on the Mount is descriptive before it's prescriptive. It doesn't tell us what we're supposed to do. It tells us what we're, we're supposed to be. It tells us the kind of character that we should have. For Jesus, obedience grows out of blessedness. The statement of our condition precedes the demands of our discipleship. This is describing the kind of people who are truly blessed of God. And it's a very interesting thing. Each one is followed by a reason, and it points out that nobody is going to be a loser for following this way of life. However unpromising it may appear in the short term. This is giving us a long-term view and it begins this way, seeing the crowds, he, speaking of Jesus, went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. We're just going to look at those two today. And the first one is a beatitude that highlights the value of desperate need. That's a little hard to swallow, right? We don't want to be in desperate need. We've been taught you've got to be self-sufficient. You have to be enough. You've got to overcome. You've got to... Not, I'm not suggesting we all sit in the corner and just wait for life to happen, but I'm saying that Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does poor in spirit mean? What does that have to do with? Well, I can tell you that the word poor has to do with lack of resources. That's not a surprise, right? We're accustomed to that term. If I'm poor, I don't have enough. 
right? That's, that's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. I'm unable to provide for myself, but this is poor in spirit. How am I poor in spirit? That's a character thing, right? That's not something that happens to me. That's something that happens in me. The more accustomed I am to being dependent on other people, the easier it is for me to adopt this posture. That's why there are a lot of warnings in the scripture to rich people. That's why there would be a, there would be a lot of warnings to many of us who have more than we need to get by. We're not on subsistence living. We have a little bit of money in savings. We have whatever we have, and we've accumulated some things. And, and it's more difficult the more we have and we're able to care for ourselves, the harder it is to adopt this position, I think, of being poor in spirit. Because this isn't just not having enough. This is a word, and there are a couple of them in the scriptures. This is a word that refers to begging poor. So when you see stories in the New Testament of people sitting by the wayside with a cup in their hand saying, could you please help a brother out a little bit? That's how poor this is. And it's poor in spirit. It's not just not having enough. It's not having anything to offer. It's really about humility, right? It's, it's knowing I bring nothing to the table spiritually. I was trying to think of a, a good illustration to use for this, and it just occurred to me that many times the scriptures give us the illustrations that are the best, right? So I want you to think about this brief section from Luke chapter 18. Jesus is talking about two guys who went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Now, you know, if you're familiar with Scripture, you know that the Pharisees were viewed by everybody as really uh, religiously, they were at the top of the heap. They were not viewed in a negative light. We tend to say Pharisee, and we think, I don't want to be a Pharisee because they're self-righteous and all of those things. We learned those things about them from Jesus, but the people of the culture didn't view Pharisees that way. They viewed them as, wow, those guys are amazing. They must be really close to God. Of course, tax collectors, on the other hand, were not that. So it's not too long we're going to start filing our taxes again, right? I know, sorry, you want to come to church to be encouraged. But <laughs> people felt the same way, except tax collectors there, they just sat at the corner of a road and you stopped by and you paid your taxes and they would assess what you had and most of the time they would assess more than what you actually owed so they could line their pockets. So one person really, really good, one person just horrible. Nobody liked them. The Pharisee, standing by himself at church, prayed thus. God. Probably God. Some kind of pretentious tone, right? I thank you that I'm not like God. Other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector, right? Don't you picture that? I fast twice a week. I give tithes of 
all that I get. The tax collector, standing far off, not because he thought he was better than everybody, but because of this attitude, he wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The guy everybody was impressed with thought he brought a lot to the table. The guy everybody hated recognized, I bring nothing to the table. And Jesus said, I tell you this, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That is poor in spirit. That's recognizing I don't bring anything to the table. The Pharisee, he was pretty good compared to other people. He thought he had stuff to bring to the table. I got, I got stuff. I got stuff I can bring. I'm, I'm pretty good. I got this gift and that gift, and I'm, I'm, I'm good here. The poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Interesting description. There are a couple of things about that that I think are important. One, I think it begins with the gospel because that's what Jesus did, right? That one went down to his house justified. That guy was right with God. Not this one over here. That one. The one who said, God, be merciful to me. All I have to offer is I'm a sinner. So we begin with the gospel recognizing that we're a sinner, recognizing that we can't do anything to help ourselves. That's begging poor spiritually, right? I don't come to God and say, you know, compared to so-and-so, I'm pretty good. I hope when we get to heaven, I'm going to make it. Because we're not. God doesn't judge on a curve. If we're sinners, we're sinners, and we don't get to go. So we recognize that. We acknowledge, I have nothing to offer to God. I'm a sinner. I'm separated from God because of my sin. And then what do I do? Just languish in that? No. I look at the gospel. I look at the, the truth of Scripture that Jesus, God the Son, came to earth, lived a perfect life I could never live. He died on the cross, which we'll celebrate way sooner than we anticipate, right, when Easter comes around was buried in the tomb and on the third day actually came back to life again, walked around, talked to people, met with people afterwards, came back to life. And I believe in that. I believe the gospel. So I repent of my sin. I turn from it. I believe the gospel and I receive Jesus. John 1 says, as many as received him, to them he gave authority, power to become children of God. So poor in spirit is essential for the beginning step. That's how I come to faith in Jesus. It's how I come to God and be made right with him in the first place. I have to be poor in spirit. I have to realize no matter how much I have, it doesn't benefit me. What did Isaiah say? All our righteousnesses are like filthy rags to God. I don't bring anything that is worthy of God's glory. But it's more than that. It refers, I think, to people who acknowledge God as their king. And they can then look forward with confidence 
to God fulfilling his purpose in their life because everything doesn't have to be great in my life from my vantage point for God to be fulfilling his purpose, right? There's, there's a lot of, of confidence and comfort in the reality that God's being glorified in my life even if right now I'm not enjoying it all that much. Because we all have seasons like that, right? I mean, we're not, we don't all, very many of us don't get to go through life, man, I'm just going from one mountaintop to another. They're mountaintops because there are valleys in between, right? So we have highs, we have lows, we have successes, we have failures, we have victories, we have defeats. And in the midst of all of those, when I can face it with the confidence that I'm not bringing anything to the table. I'm submitting myself to the king of heaven. I have confidence. I have comfort as I face life. And it is those who consciously depend on God. Now, I had a fellow one time, I had made a a statement, something to this effect in a sermon. We need to learn how not to depend on our strength and our gifts and our abilities and depend on the strength of God. And he said to me that week one day, he said, how exactly do you do that? And it, it kind of took me back because I don't really know how you do it. You just have to do it, right? I mean, God has given us all a certain level of giftedness. He has given us abilities and, and talents and spiritual gifts that he has designed for us to employ in ministering to his people and with his people. God has done that for all of us. So we ought to use those things. We ought to work diligently at them. And I hope that you're sitting there thinking to yourself, well, you know, I can do this. Because we start talking about gifts and talents and abilities. Most often we think of stuff that happens up here on the stage, right? We think of the musicians or we think of the, of the preacher if he's, if he's good, <laughs> if he's good enough. And, and you know, we, we have all of these things. When God has gifted us to serve, he's gifted us to serve. Some of you, he has gifted you with a passion for children and a merciful spirit. And you serve the Lord in our children's ministry. Some of you, he has given an ability to be hospitable. And you do that. You, You welcome people and you love on people. But listen, if we're coming depending on our natural giftedness or even the spiritual gifts that God has given us, we're going to be in trouble. I study hard. Marcus studies hard. We want to be sure that we are well prepared when we step up here so that when you leave, you don't come in and think, well, the music was good. Right? We, we want it to be a good presentation, and we want it to be scriptural, and we want it to feed you spiritually. But if we come in depending on our capacity to do that well, you may walk away and say, boy, that was a good sermon, but it may do nothing for your spiritual well-being. I had a guy at a church one time. Every single week, he would walk out. Pastor Dave, enjoyed you? which is great and, you know, has its own encouragement to it. But when you say it every week, on the weeks that it was a hard sermon, I used to want to say, oh, I'm really sorry. (laughs) Because I didn't enjoy saying it. I hope you didn't enjoy hearing it. Sometimes it's that way, right? But we have to consciously depend on God. He gives us the gifts so we can honor him. That's why Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. 
We have this, this wonderful light of the gospel in us, and it's in an earthen vessel so that, what? The power of the gospel may be of God and not of us. So people could look at the clay pots and say, man, that's amazing. Look what's growing out of that clay pot. Nobody cares about the pot. Everybody cares about what's growing in it. That's what we do. We're here to be used to serve the Lord. Those who are poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That's the benefit of tears. Listen, I know, I know there are some of you that have surely had tears this week. I know there are those among us who are teachers who probably watched what happened at Rich Neck Elementary School, which is five minutes from my house last week, and came home and hugged your family. Because it's scary when a six-year-old child can walk into a classroom and shoot the teacher. There are tears and there's mourning. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That's incredible. Mourning. Listen, we have to remember, we think about the coming of Jesus, the return of Jesus to earth, and we are super excited, as we should be if we're in Christ. But when Jesus came announcing the kingdom in the first century when he had not yet gone to the cross and sin had not been paid for, he, like John the Baptist before him, had not expected a celebration. They expected contrite tears. The kingdom of God is coming, and I am ill-prepared to be part of it. That is going to produce mourning. Why mourning? I, I agree. There one writer, I didn't write down his name, but said it's not enough to acknowledge our personal spiritual bankruptcy with a cold heart, right? It's not enough to say, yeah, he's right. I don't really bring anything to the table. That ought to break our heart. That ought to produce mourning. Weeping over sin is powerful. It's just kind of not part of the church culture very much anymore to give a public invitation for people to come forward, but I've done it in my history. I remember one time, probably 15 years or more ago, I gave an invitation and out stepped a guy from his pew way in the back of the auditorium and all the way down, he was just weeping. And he came forward and trusted in Christ that day because he was broken by his complete lack of anything to bring to God. Just a few weeks ago, uh, we have, we have uh, individuals who are going just to fill the pulpit at this Battery Park Church right now. Uh, not doing anything. It's not ours. The church hasn't accepted it, but they have an empty pulpit. So we've been trying to minister to them and, and go and care and encourage them. The second week we were there, a fellow visited from the community came to Pastor Andrew Oates after the service weeping because he knew it had been a long time since he'd been in church and he just needed to get back to church. When we recognize our weakness, it is healthy for it to produce 
some sorrow, right? In the scriptures, there's sorrow over our personal sin. In the Old Testament story of David, King David, the man after God's own heart, committed adultery and sent a letter to the to the guy who was in charge of the army to say, I cheated. Well, he didn't specify why, but within his heart, I cheated with this guy's wife, and he was too had too much integrity to come home while the rest of the company was at battle and sleep with his own wife, so kill him. Put him at the front of the line where he's likely to get killed, and then everybody back up. That was pretty obvious, right? So he's guilty of adultery, sexual sin, and murder. And his response, once the prophet came to him and said, you have sinned against God and it is going to cause great trouble in Israel. You are a prominent person and it is going to cause huge repercussions. David broke down and cried out to God. Oh God, I have completely messed up. I have completely lost my testimony. I I plead with you to soften my heart. He cried out to God. I think there's such a thing as sorrow over national rejection, right? Paul did that. In Romans chapter 9, he said, I have continual sorrow in my heart about my, my national partners, people who are of the same nation as me, the Israelites. These are my people and they have rejected you. I have continual sorrow in my heart. Perhaps, just throwing it out there so you can write me an email this week if you disagree, perhaps if we spent more time sorrowing over the state of our nation than being mad at people on the other side of the aisle, maybe more would be happening if God's people were broken over the state of our country. We're so busy being mad, we forget that there's sin on both sides of the aisle you can be blue or red. It doesn't matter. We're all in sin and we're all desperately needy. And perhaps if we started there, right, we can sorrow over that. It ought to bring a sense of mourning. Sorrow over the effects of sin in the world. We look around us and we see all this horrible stuff happening. Why in the world is all this happening? Natural disasters, disease, war, all of that. You remember from Luke, or John rather, chapter 11 when Jesus was called to the grave of Lazarus. He was dying. In fact, he wasn't called to his grave. He was called by Lazarus' sisters. Jesus used to stop and visit and stay with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And Lazarus got really sick, and so Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus and, and said, man, he whom you love is sick. Can you please come? And Jesus said to his disciples, Lazarus is sick, so let's wait for a little bit. What? And he did, and he waited until he died. And he gets to the tomb. And John chapter 11 describes Jesus as stepping up to this tomb and everybody around him is weeping. And those two words in John eleven thirty five, 35, right? Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Now listen, I'm pretty sure Jesus knew what he was about to do. 
So what was he weeping over? I think he was weeping over the brokenness that sin had brought into the world. Look at all these people broken over the death of this guy and death comes because of sin, not because Lazarus sinned, but because of sin. That's what Jesus told or what God told Adam and Eve. You eat of that fruit, you will die. And they didn't immediately die and they may have momentarily thought, oh, whew, we dodged that bullet, but they did not. In fact, they cast the rest of humanity for all of time under the penalty of death. We die because there's sin in the world. We get sick because our bodies are breaking down because there's the principle of sin in the world. Bad things don't happen because God doesn't have anything better to do than fix them. Bad things happen because there is sin in the world. We mourn over that. We should mourn. It's healthy. We don't need to keep a stiff upper lip. Well, I know some, some people are more emotional than other people. I get it. But we mourn. I love the good news at the end of that, right? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Aren't you glad for comfort? Don't you love it? Man, to this day... One of the times that I wasn't even all that upset, but I, I experienced the power of somebody else coming and encouraging me. I sang with a group in Bible college days, which, of course, is getting harder and harder to remember that far back. But <laughs> I, uh, I must have kind of just been given off a discouragement vibe, apparently, because I think I used an illustration about that last week, so maybe I still do that. But... Um, I'd had a really rough time. It was a, I was taking Greek or some class that was just killing me. And, and I came in and I sat down. And one of the girls from across the room came over, just sat down next to me and said, Are you okay? You look like you're down. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't like my whole day was ruined. But I tell you what, it must have been enough that that act of her coming over, just sitting down next to me and saying, How you doing? You look like you're discouraged. It must have meant a lot to me because it has stuck with me for a lot of years. Comfort is really important. So where do we get it from? I think we can get it from four things. So let me read you a few quick verses here, all right? Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30. Come to me, Jesus said, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus offers us comfort if we will come to him. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3, verses 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Mm, I love that title. Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. The God of all comfort. Listen, make no mistake, God hates sin as much as he always has. 
but God is a God of comfort. And if you will come to him through Jesus, he will bring comfort and we get to pay it forward, right? We love that phrase in our culture, pay it forward. We pay comfort forward. We get comforted, we go comfort somebody else with the comfort that we got from God. The Holy Spirit comforts us. Jesus said, I will ask the Father. He'll give you another helper, or in some translations it says a comforter, to be with you forever. Hmm. That's really powerful. Because when you trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you, and now you have the comforter from God living inside of you. And Romans 15 and verse 4 says, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So when, when we're talking about some of the common graces, I was, we were just having a discussion about this with some guys on Thursday night in our leadership development. The, the things that we would say are common graces, go to church, read your Bible. I mean, those are the things we teach our kids, right? How do you get closer to God? Read your Bible and pray, right? Isn't that what the kids would say? That's because that's true. We spend time in the scriptures because they encourage our hearts. So let me give you three things to take home, and they're on your bulletin, I suspect, and they're not all very pretty, but thought number one, face reality. By that, I mean this. You are not enough. And you don't have what it takes to please God with your life. It's really important that we remember that. Paul referred to himself as the chief of sinners. He remembered all the time, no matter how many churches he planted, no matter how many letters he wrote to churches, he remembered all the time, I am the worst. And let that move you. Let that do its work in you. There can be no comfort where there is no grief. I can't draw comfort from God if I don't acknowledge that I'm desperate for it in the first place. Sorrow, mourning should make me look for the heart and the hand of God in my life. And then thirdly, receive the comfort. Receive comfort through the gospel. Man, if you're listening, if you're here, or if you're listening online this morning, please, please, please understand. You have to recognize you don't have enough to get into heaven. It's not a matter of how much. It's a matter of perfection, absolute holiness, and none of us has that. The only ones who get to be righteous in the sight of God are the ones who recognize I don't have enough, who are in spirit. I don't have what it takes. I don't have anything to offer. But in Christ, I have his righteousness. And so now God sees me in Christ, and now he takes me to heaven, not because I have enough, but because Jesus is enough. So if you're here and you've never trusted in Christ, man, as we're, as we're singing a song to close here in just a little while, there's going to be a couple of people up here at the front 
come talk to them. Come talk to me. Let us, let us show you how you can, you can know that your sins are forgiven. You're on your way to heaven. You can receive comfort from the reality of that. But get comfort from others. Man, let's make it our practice to take the comfort we've received from God and offer it to other people. It's part of why we come together, right? Put your arm around somebody that looks discouraged. Now, maybe they're not, right? Maybe they just have a resting face that looks discouraged. You can praise God with them. Well, praise God. I'm glad everything's good. How can I pray for you anyway, right? Let's encourage each other. Let's, let's work at taking the encouragement we've gotten from God and giving it to other people. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the ones who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Father, thank you. Thank you for the hope that we have in the gospel. Thank you for the reality that we can be right with you even though we don't have anything to offer. Thank you, Lord, that when we're just struggling because we're not, we're not feeling like we're really pleasing you, even as your children, then, Lord, help us to remember it because we don't have any ability to do that still. It is only in Christ that we're right in your sight. And so we draw on the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of Christ within us and the, the understanding of the Scriptures to enable us to do what what only you can do in us. You give us both the will and the work that pleases you. So I pray that we would draw from that today. And Lord, I pray for those who are here mourning because of perhaps uh, an effect of sin that has, uh, maybe not personal sin, but something about Life has just become incredibly hard right now, and they're facing that and struggling with that, and they're mourning. Oh, God, I pray that you would comfort and encourage their hearts. Lord, uh, we want to be people who convey that comfort, who are used of you to do that. So, God, I pray. I pray that we would be poor in spirit, that we would mourn so that we can be the kind of people who populate your kingdom and we can live in a manner that looks forward to your will being fulfilled in our lives. We're grateful, God. We love you and we, we want to honor you before we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.